Hey, we are continuing our series. We're calling The New Life. This is talking about what does it mean to follow Jesus? You know, back in the gospel times when Jesus was on the earth, they could literally follow him. You know, like he's going east down the road. Let's go east down the road with Jesus. Now, how do we follow Jesus? It can be a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, So we're talking about that. What does it mean to be born again, to let go of the old, grab hold of the new? Last week, we talked about forgiveness. Essential. We are people of the cross. We receive the forgiveness of God through the redemption that Christ offers through his shed blood. But we're going to be talking about today being citizens of heaven. You know, it's 4th of July weekend, so we got all the stuff going on uh, celebrating the United States of America. And who are we as followers of Christ? We are citizens of heaven. So how do we navigate being part of the church, the body of Christ, being citizens of heaven? How does that all work? You know, that's what we're talking about this time. So last time we talked about forgiveness. If you weren't here, go check out the uh, video, goodhope.ag or our YouTube channel, Good Hope Church. So today we're talking about being citizens of heaven, going to church, being part of the body of Christ. So when we come to believe in Jesus, then we need to navigate what do we belong to? What are we part of? How does this all work? For me, as an early believer, you know, I knew I didn't fit in in the Christian world. <laughs> it was not a world that was set up for me. I just, you know, I was not raised with Christian values. I was not, I didn't understand how the whole thing worked. You know, I, I just didn't know what was going on. I went to church one time as a new believer and I had no clue what was going on. And I don't even know what kind of church it was, but um went to church and and I just didn't know what to do. I mean, I just, I knew I didn't fit in. I knew I didn't belong. And yet I kept reading the scriptures and I kept seeing how there is something bigger than just my relationship with God that I belong to, the whole body of Christ, the church, you know, the global family of God. I belong to this thing and I didn't really know how to do that. And, you know, I had the same perception that a lot of people have, and that is that there's a whole bunch of different churches that are all fighting with each other. And one of them maybe is right. So we got to figure out which one that is. And so I, I actually prayed. I asked God, who do I join? What group do I join? You know, I mean, like, which one of them is right? And I prayed this, you know, honestly. And uh, I even told my wife, you know, like, especially early on, I'm trying to figure out, navigate the things of God. I'm like, I don't care who's right, you know, and I give a list that scared her. I'm like, if any of these people are right, we're going with them. So I prayed, Lord, who's right? You know how God will just kind of speak to your heart, not an audible voice, but all of a sudden you just know something. The thing the Lord just put in my heart was none of them are right. You want to join a perfect denomination? You want to join a perfect church? None of them are right. You know, God is right. People are not. And that really took a lot of the pressure off of me. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's of course, right. <laughs> you know, none of them are right. Every church is flawed. Every denomination is flawed. People are flawed. It's just a mess. And so that gave me permission to become part of something that wasn't perfect. So I chose the Assemblies of God, you know, eventually, and uh, became an Assembly of God pastor, and I'm very excited to be part of the Assemblies of God. But I do not confuse the Assemblies of God with Jesus. I do not confuse Good Hope Church with Almighty God. You know, they're two very different things. And so we have to navigate this thing that we belong to. We belong to God's family, to the body of Christ, to the church. 
So that's what we're talking about today. Let's dig into this a little bit. There is one group. We did our series called The Good Shepherd, went through John chapter 10, covered a lot of things. One of the things in that is verse 16, where Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So the other sheep that are not of this sheep pen would be the Gentiles that would be brought in later. The Jews and the Gentiles coming together under Christ to be part of the family of God, to be the family of God. All people, that signifies, all people brought together under Christ to be part of the family of God. There is one flock and one shepherd. How many flocks? How many shepherds? All right. So that's very clear. I read that. I'm like, okay, there's one group. Jesus reiterates this over and over, and the scriptures reiterate this over and over, the unity of the believers, the the group is to be together, unified. Jesus prays for this in John chapter 17, one of the most profound things in the scriptures, John 17, 20 through 23. Jesus is praying for his followers, and then he prays also for those in the future who will believe in him. So let's look at this. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the the believers that were there, his apostles, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's, that's us. That's the believers in the future. Hallelujah. So my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So this is incredible. Jesus prays that the believers in the future would be as united as the Father and Son, as Jesus and God the Father. Like, that's pretty united. He prays for us all believers of all denominations and all groups to be that united. Who answers that prayer? You know, I mean, Jesus prayed this prayer that we would be united. Who answers that prayer? That's a complicated question, but I tell you, you and I have a piece of it. We have a piece of answering that prayer. We can say, yes, Lord, I will be united with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Or we can say, no, Lord, I will not be united with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Those people are wrong. They're wrong. That's bad. They're bad. We're right. You can do that instead. Or you can say, yes, Lord, I will stand together. How does this work? So how does, how does the body of Christ, how do the, the church you know, the greater capital C church worldwide body of Christ, family of God. How does that all work? Let's go to Ephesians chapter four. This is a fantastic piece of scripture here. Of course, I probably have a thousand favorite scriptures, but one of my favorites, uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, we're gonna read and let's look at what's the picture of this global body of Christ, the church, you know, the family of God. What does this look like? So, Here's a picture of it, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So this is how it's supposed to work. Leaders stepping into their calling. That's the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And they are equipping all of the believers for the work of the ministry, for works of service, so that the body of Christ might be built up. The picture that we see in Ephesians is leaders lead in their calling, how God has called them. And then the believers serve in their giftings. And we all stand together. We all work together, encouraging and strengthening each other in the body of Christ. That's how it's supposed to work. Now, you may have noticed that (laughs) it isn't actually working. Instead, we got verse 14 here, which is actually much more accurate as far as what's actually going on. You know, it says we will no longer, but we currently are. There's so many, so much of this problem. Be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Let me tell you, if you just believe whatever you see on the internet, if you just believe whatever news that you you happen to watch, if you just buy that and just swallow it hook, line, and sinker, you are being blown here and there by the craftiness of of people in their deceitful scheming. Like, don't do that. Instead, let's look into the scriptures and let's walk in line with the spirit of God and the truth of God. Let's do that instead. So we're called to be together, but it isn't really working in today's world. The body of Christ is more divided than the citizens of the United States of America. The United States is tremendously divided, but the body of Christ is even more divided. It's a disaster. Let's read this and put it into practice. It's a real problem. Why is that? Why is the body of Christ so divided? Well, I mean, there's a whole lot to it. Some people just don't understand what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to be part of this family of God. But too many believers in their pride have answered Jesus' prayer in John 17 with, heck no. United with them, forget it. You know, like, they wear robes and burn candles. You know, we have jeans, you know, like, and, and drums. You know, like, it doesn't matter. God doesn't care what the pastor wears or what instruments the worship team uses or how long the services are or how many times you stand up and sit down. He doesn't care about any of that. He cares about the heart. Do we love him? Do we love each other? That's what God cares about. So people will, you know, dig into a bunch of theology, and instead of finding that we're supposed to stand together as the body of Christ, they find some little detail that they have a disagreement with somebody else on, and then they allow that to create division. That's just pride and foolishness. So this issue actually began way back in New Testament times. The New Testament church was seeing division happen in the body. And so let's look at that. First Corinthians deals with this. So we're going to spend a whole bunch of time now in First Corinthians. So let's go to 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 1, and we see a theme that kind of 
repeats itself in 1 Corinthians. I encourage you to listen to the Bible. I hope you read the Bible, but I like also to listen to it. Like then you can listen to 1 Corinthians, the whole book, 1 and 2 Corinthians back to back, and you get kind of a broader picture and you'll see that certain themes weave their way through the book and come up more than once. And so this is one of those themes. 1 Corinthians chapter one, we'll read 10 through 13. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, another I follow Cephas, which is Peter, and still another I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? (laughs) So he just starts going off on this division in the church that they're picking leaders to follow that they think, you know, oh, I'm going to follow Paul. I'm going to follow Apollos. I'm going to follow Cephas. This comes back up again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, we see the same thing brought up again. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So it might be more helpful when we read this, for one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? You know, if we say, you know, I follow John Calvin, or I follow Martin Luther, or I follow the Assemblies of God, what you know, it might hit a little harder if we use those terms. That's exactly what this is talking about. We are divided because we've split ourselves into these groups, but scripturally, there's only one group. So is God okay with this? You know, is God okay with all this division, all this problem? You know, I mean, he's not. Let's jump to verse 16 of chapter three of 1 Corinthians. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? That's the plural, you yourselves. You know, if this was the the Southern Bible would say, all y'all, don't you know that all y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So this is a strong warning against division in the church, against following this person or that person, this denomination, that denomination, this theology, that theology. You know, you can have your theological opinions, but if those theological opinions create division, then you're giving up on a primary concept of being a follower of Jesus, and that is standing together with the body of Christ. And so your theology is very flawed if it drives you into division. So this is not okay. How do we navigate this? I remember, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about what it was like for me coming into the faith. I mean, 
first of all, I thought all Christians were the same, you know, and then I found out that there's like hundreds of different types of Christianity just in the United States. And I'm like, what in the world's going on here? And then I'm like, well, what do I do? Pretty much disagree with everybody. So do I form my own group? Well, then I'm forming another group. And we're creating even more division. Well, like, I really probably shouldn't do that. What do I do? And I got some guidance here as um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 continues, verse 18. So there's a little bit more, uh, you know, poking at the division people here. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So, so then, no more boasting about human leaders. So what is Paul talking about when he says, you know, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. He catches the wise in their craftiness. A lot of Christians interpret this as non-Christian intellectuals. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about Christians who are dividing themselves over their leaders, which specific Christian leader they're following. That's what this is talking about. That's the worldly wisdom that's being talked about here is division in the church because people are talking up their group and their theology and whatever, all that stuff so that they can fight with other Christians. That's what this is talking about, not non-Christians who disagree with Christianity. This isn't talking about atheists and agnostics and whatever. It's not what that's talking about. This is talking about Christians fighting with each other and getting all proud over it. Now, here's the answer, verse 21 and 22. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. So that, to me, was just huge. All are yours. Okay, so everything is mine. What does that mean? That means that I can go to the Stations of the Cross at the Catholic Church and I can enjoy the service and it's just fine. I did that, Father Fish over here, uh, he's he's not there anymore, but a couple years ago, Father Fish invited the pastors over to the Stations of the Cross thing. So I went, it was awesome, very much enjoyed that. I can go to the Baptist Church for things. I can go to the Lutheran Church for things. I, you know, I don't agree with everything they, they think or do, like, but who cares? Guess what, I disagree with everything. You know, everybody on some points, you know, uh, if we if we agree on everything, it's because we don't know each other well enough. We're going to find something that we disagree on. We got to be able to navigate that. We got to be able to walk through that. And the thing that I see that is so great here is all are yours. Paul, Apollo, Cephas, everything belongs to you. Don't think of yourself as part of this level group inside of Christianity. Think of yourself as part of the greater body of Christ. You belong to the whole thing. Hallelujah. Now, of course, you're going to have to participate in a, a smaller piece. You know, I don't get to participate in every global expression of Christianity. I got to do my thing, you know, and I've chosen to be part of the Assemblies of God and Good Hope Church. And this to me is where I fit, where I belong. But I have a cooperative spirit towards the rest of the body of Christ, even in error and all that sort of thing, you know, because there's error all over the place. But we've got to stand under Christ, even in the midst of our imperfections, because that's how God accepts us. He has grace for us in our imperfections. Let's have grace for each other in our imperfections as well. So all are yours. You belong to the whole thing. Be a fruitful, faithful citizen of heaven. Amen. Be a fruitful and faithful citizen of heaven. 
We're going to talk about that a little bit more in the context of belonging, belonging to the body of Christ, being a citizen of heaven, being part of the family of God. What does that look like and how do we understand holy communion from that context? We're going to continue in 1 Corinthians and jump to chapter 10 because Paul here is still talking about the unity of the believers. You know, it just keeps coming up in 1 Corinthians. So chapter 10 verses 14 through 17 say this, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we share in the one loaf. What is Paul saying here? He's saying if we are participating in Christ through Holy Communion, we're all participating in the same thing. So we're all part of the same thing that is participating in Christ. So if we're going to participate in Holy Communion and other people are also going to do that, we're making a connection with God, they're making a connection with God, then if we're making the same connection, then we're under the same thing and we're unified together. So Holy Communion here, Paul is making the point that because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. We share in the body of Christ. So what's the idolatry thing just sort of, you know, jumps out there. It doesn't seem to have a huge context, an immediate context there. But um, flee from idolatry. I think there's a chance that might be talking about idolatry in your leaders, you know, making idols out of your leader. Like, I don't know that anybody's doing this, but don't follow me. Follow Jesus. You know what I mean? Don't follow this theologian or this Christian leader follow Jesus. Don't make idols out of churches, denominations, pastors, preachers, faith leaders. You don't, don't do that. Don't make idols out of those people or organizations. Just follow Jesus. That's how it's supposed to work. So we're all to be united through Holy Communion. That wasn't really working in the Corinthian church. So we go to chapter 11, move to verse 17. Now, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. How would that be? The evaluation of your church by the Apostle Paul is, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. That's a, that's a pretty harsh comment right there. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. So we see that it's the same thing coming up, division in the church. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So, They were supposed to be coming together to celebrate the Lord's Supper as, you know, an agape feast, a love feast where we're celebrating the love of God and the unity that we have together. But instead of that, people were being left out. They were being forgotten. They didn't have any food. Other people are just overindulging over here while somebody over there is being forgotten and being humiliated. And, you know, they didn't have 
communion cups like this, they had a potluck. You know what I mean? Like everybody got together, they shared some food and, and they, that was their holy communion, kind of a combination of a, of a, a church dinner and a, uh, and our holy communion. Those two things kind of merged together. People were being forgotten. You know, it was just kind of a, a chaotic scene. Now here's next verse. Paul explains how this is supposed to work. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we see here that, you know, we're to participate in Holy Communion. Jesus commanded us to do this. We do this in remembrance of him, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. You know, this is something that believers all around the world, all kinds of different denominations and groups do together. Uh, And so this is what Paul is explaining how this is supposed to work. But then he goes back to the problems that they're having in the next verse. Verse 27 through 34, we'll read in the next three verses specifically are very harsh. So we'll go back to those. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. So Paul has more to say about this, but not in letter form. He's going to do that personally. So we see that incredible, you know, series of things about Holy Communion. I love verse 33. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Why all eat together? You know, let's be together. Let's be unified. Let's celebrate what Christ has done for us. Let's remember what the Lord has done for us. And let's do that together. Unified, standing together. We see the uh, warning in verses 27 through 29. Let's reread that. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Now, a lot of Christians, I've had people come to me and they don't want to take communion because they feel like they are not perfect. And I'm like, that's not it. You know, <laughs> Go ahead and receive Holy Communion. You know, you don't have to be perfect. Um, be trying, be, be, you know, making progress, be conquering some things, be getting victory, you know, like, come on, uh, don't just give up and identify with failure, but uh, you don't have to be absolutely perfect or you're in real trouble because of these verses. You know, that's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is verse 29. What does it say? For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. This isn't talking about uh, sinless perfection for the individual in their personal behavior. 
So you, you want to get your behavior straightened out, you know, go ahead and do that. But what this is talking about is not discerning the body, not discerning the church, not discerning the, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God, not discerning that. When we fail to see that, when we only care about ourselves, that's when we receive Holy Communion and bring judgment on ourselves. So we want to discern the body of Christ. We want to be aware that Receiving Holy Communion is part of saying, yes, I am a citizen of heaven. I belong to the body of Christ. I am part of this global thing, as currently messed up as it is, <laughs> with all the issues that are going on, all the division, all the mess. But we belong to all of it. And so we identify with that. I am under Christ. Everyone else under Christ is in my family. It's a dysfunctional, messed up family. But here we are. Let's make the most of it. Let's bring unity where there's division. Let's bring love where there's nitpicky hatred. Let's bring truth where there's confusion. Let's just be part of that. I think it's it's not about, you know, the exact specific way you do it. It's a matter of the heart. If you've got a heart of division towards people, now you can believe they're wrong. I believe, oh man, a lot of theology I think is just ridiculous. Christian practice, some of it I think is ridiculous. It, you know, I think lots of stuff is wrong. That doesn't mean I can I can be out of unity. I still love people that have misconceptions, that do things wrong, that have confused others. I still love them. They're all part of that thing. If you have let division come into your heart to where you think your enemies are other believers in Jesus, let's, let's conquer that today. Let's stand together. So our closing scripture today, we're going to go back to John chapter 17, and we're going to read those verses that um, Jesus prayed for those who would believe in him in the future. So we'll read verses 20 through 23. Jesus prays, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Heavenly Father, help us to attain to the full measure of your glory. I believe that rather than showing your glory to this world, that too often the church shows worldly ugliness to this world. Lord, let us stand together, humbling our hearts, not going beyond what is written, but trusting in your word and standing together. Lord, bring your body together in unity. And Lord, help each one of us to do our part. Help us to feel the responsibility of the unity of the believer, the fellowship of the followers of Christ, the unity of the church and your family. So Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice you've made for us and your desire is for us to stand unified. So Lord, bring us together, heal our hearts, help us to embrace and encourage one another. So Lord, we remember what you've done. We honor you, Lord Jesus, for your suffering that paid for our forgiveness and for your body being broken for our healing. We receive that healing, we receive that forgiveness, and we pray, Lord, that you would guide us by your spirit that we may walk in your ways. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that you give us. You don't expect us to be perfect. We just need to be forgiven. We need to be redeemed, and we need to be growing, learning about you, loving and honoring you, learning your ways. Help us to do that. 
Help us to stand strong together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.